da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Apparently, the movie of the week this week is Mank. It sucks for me because I just spent the past 48 hours binge-watching eight seasons of Monk, starring uh, Tony Shalhoub. That does yeah, suck that's my bad. That's, that's yeah, autocorrect. That on my very very confusing phone, autocorrect yeah. mistake that happened. New phone, you know, he hasn't learned. The... Yeah, Mank hasn't really penetrated the zeitgeist enough mm-hmm. yet, like Monk has. Right. So it knew Monk, didn't know Mank. <laughs> right. And well, you know how yeah. Richard feels about Tony Shalhoub. He he looks well, up, up to him as a father almost. Um, so it's I do feel the same way I feel about my father than hit to him. So that's fair. <laughs> we can talk about Monk instead if y'all want to just do that instead of Mank. You know what I do? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, go Richard. You got it. Yeah. So no, next solo ep it will be Richard on Monk. Um, we can just let's just talk about the uh, the Galactic Federation. How about that? How fast does uh, Netflix greenlight a show called Galactic Federation starring uh, starring Rain Wilson, by the way? Uh, check out Trending Topics uh, for that reference. Uh, welcome in, man. Um, it's going to be good. It's going to be good to talk Mank with you boys, Richard, Brian. Um, I'm Kent. Welcome so, in. Mad About Movies fam and VIPs. Thanks for being here as always. We're rounding out 2020 and we're headed to 2021, guys. And um, it feels good to, to get out of this year and, yeah, and move on to yeah. a new one brighter things on the horizon and um one thing we know for sure is that um a lot of the movies we are looking forward to this year next year are coming out on streaming only so uh we'll talk about all those implications on hbo and and all that stuff i know our our vips have been talking about it in discord so we'll get to that on an episode at another point so stay tuned for that and stay tuned for raging bull talk in the vip this week scorsese yeah, man. Back to back, black and white super artsy this week. This is after after uh, yeah, after seven years. We, we're doing our first black and white movie, so it's good times. Now, um, <laughs> we're only we're only next one year. We can get next into talking finally on so it's going to be the great. Well, we can get into the greatest silent oh, film of mm-hmm. 2011 the artist mm-hmm. next year. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. It could be a number of films. It could be a number of films. Yeah. I kind of like to. Well, I I guess uh, without further ado, welcome in everyone listening and let's talk Mank, fellas. Um, Man, this seems to be like one of the only movies that's come out in 2020 that we were kind of looking forward to in in 2020 or like had on the horizon and and any kind of of way at all. You know, I mean, that was nice to. To, to, I guess, like, recognize a movie we're going to be talking about for once. That was good. It's a nice change. Yeah. Yeah. It's This is one well, of about 50, you know, that we're like, since, oh, yeah, I can't uh, wait to see that. Theodore that Rex. Theodore Rex. Well, man, um, you know, we talk David Fincher movies a lot on the pod. I think we talked The Social Network this year already, did we yeah. not, for the, um, the anniversary of the... Uh, or 2009. I think that yeah, was 2019. Year, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so we've gone back. We've tried to do some throwback episodes. We've tried to do all of his of his current movies. And uh, yeah, we're Fincher fans, you know? Yeah, we did 
That's what I'm thinking. Seven, yeah. couple, that's what a I'm couple thinking. months ago on uh, on the VIP. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it's fun to always dive into into some Fincher talk. I know we're we're all various degrees of, of fans of his, but we should start start this uh, start this pot off with with general talk, uh, general mank talk. First of all, um, interesting to see this movie on Netflix. Mm. You know, David Fincher, I guess, has this uh, mm-hmm. relationship going with Netflix and. Mindhunter and that stuff. So he's like, "Hey, yeah, House of Cards," and that didn't end badly at all. <laughs> I don't. I think he only did like from beginning what, to end. two episodes at the beginning. Yeah, he was out before no, the. Yeah, uh, he bailed. They got spacied. Actually, they didn't get spacied. That would have been a lot worse. But uh, <laughs> Kevin Spacey was involved. Let's just say that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. You, you, yeah, you started watching the last season. Yeah, not it's in weird. my edit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I only did the Robin Wright <laughs> season. Yeah, <laughs> you're not, not doing another one. I'm sorry to sorry to report that. Sorry, you're so invested. <laughs> well, um, yeah, man, it's cool to see uh, a, a director in, of man. Fincher's ilk. You know, buy into that. We we saw Martin Scorsese last year do that with The Irishman, and that was maybe the. Other than mm-hmm. Tarantino and Christopher Nolan, like the last person I would think would do that would be Martin Scorsese. Yeah. So the fact that that's already happened, I mean, but Scorsese's okay, already Okay, can been... I ask you a question, Kent? Yeah. All right, you have to gamble. We'll give you even odds, right? Yeah. Who does, who would make a straight to Netflix movie first, Tarantino or Nolan? Tarantino. Yeah, I think so too. So I would maybe set him as the favorite and then make Nolan the. What about yeah. Spielberg? Add Spielberg to that. Oh, I think Spielberg will do it. I think Spielberg is favorite too. No, and uh, by the way, I don't mean that any yeah. kind of criticism, whatever. Like, do however you want to do it. I find him way more likely, right, Brian? You're the Spielberg guy. I think yeah. even you would say that. Yeah, no question. I think Spielberg would would uh, would jump at the chance the way that Fincher and mm-hmm. and. Uh, Scorsese have and that they want to make the movie they want to make and you're you're able to do that at Netflix or maybe Apple right. Plus or some of these other things more so than you can at yeah Spielberg definitely Sony I would say Netflix. for sure is Apple Plus material uh huh yeah yeah um, that yeah, I trotted mean, him out that I do mean is an insult no, <laughs> well no he did a, a, yeah. a series for them yeah, that he did. Uh, mm-hmm. no one heard about that everyone saw yeah. but it's, it's yeah, all I hear about <laughs> That's not a that's not his fault at all, by the way. But yeah, um, no, Nolan, Nolan will be the last one. There, he's gonna mm-hmm. like do pop up. He'll be like Jack White. He and Jack White will be going around the country, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, playing drive-in movie theaters. Yeah. It's a good pairing. The rock concert, be kind of an interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, millimeter. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm not. I'm not uh, at all. Um, yeah. upset they set about up it. like giant circus tents around. <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. Around the it's gonna be a road show. I'm just Jack White, and Christopher Nolan movies, movies, sure. yeah, movies. We're only oh using gosh. speakers that were actually made in yeah. 1923. Yeah, uh, it's it's a new thing we're trying to figure out. Because yeah. what is time anyway? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited though that uh, you know directors like that are are doing this because you know like we've seen you know <laughs> theaters are are not really active right now so like it yeah. might not be a choice one day that they they kind of have to go that direction you know Sadly, things right, are trending yeah. that direction so, so I only watch things I I know you I know Brian you're more theatrical mm-hmm. based. 
Kent, you're more home theater based, and I'm more. I only like, you know, on Pimp My Ride where they would have those TVs that would pop down from the headrest of the car. Mm-hmm. That's the only place I like to watch Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan films. Do you yeah. think that would bother him? <laughs> it's like a three inch screen. Yeah, yeah, it's about three, mm-hmm. three and a half inches, mm-hmm. and there's but you have aqua- a. F- but it's here's through the catch. An aqua- I have to watch it through an aquarium. Yeah, so the yeah, water. You have a. <laughs> you have a forty eight inch subwoofer though. So <laughs> right. Yeah, and those screens. I like those screens at the uh, Murphy's Walmart gas stations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I'm pumping, those those (laughs) are my Quibi. That's basically what Quibi was. (laughs) Yeah, we should have invested Murphy's TV as an app. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, man, it's great. Weird that they didn't sell it that way. That would have been a great, great. We probably would have sold more. I would have been more curious about that than. Except at least Murphy's lets you go horizontal. That's right. <laughs> the Walmart people are more tech heavy than uh, uh No, they add horizontal. Not that I know everything about Quibi. But they added you, it late You though. couldn't put it on your TV. That yeah, but the they thing. they added horizontal like four A horizontal like the no, the whole thing with Quibi was was that you could change it from horizontal to vertical seamlessly. As if that was a problem <laughs> that we already had. Like you couldn't just turn your phone over watching Netflix. But but like the content didn't change aspects does that make sense like sick like like i guess they had to go in and like pan and scan all the shows to fit a fit a landscape mode and then that's where the two billion went well they got sued like crazy because some company came up with the technology for that to do that with video and i think that might have been what what bankrupted them not not because they suck but uh let's not talk more (laughs) quibby uh netflix mank and um more quibby please this was fun to go back and and i guess not research, but do a little uh, prep wa- prep watching uh, this past week. You know, mm-hmm. watch a little bit of watch a little bit of Fincher. Watched um, watch Citizen Kane again, of course, mm-hmm. with the Ebert commentary, like you have to do. Absolutely, got to got to get the Ebert commentary on the on the Blu-ray. Um, excellent to hear that, and that's a yearly thing for me anyway. Is yeah. is Citizen Kane and uh, and. And watching that with the commentary or or not, I, I love Citizen Kane, and so, you know, guys, it's understandable that somebody wouldn't like Citizen Kane, um, wiser, uh, because it's too old. <laughs> you know, there are people out there that don't watch mm-hmm. movies because they're too old. I understand that. I get it. Um, I guess I was raised on more old movies, so I guess from the outset of my life, I was used to it. So it was like a weird transitioning to black and white or anything like that so so it's nice for me so i love citizen kane but brian where do you fall on on citizen kane and just the whole background of that movie and what it represents and all that i've only seen citizen kane a couple times i was thinking about about popping it on this weekend uh after watching mank but i think I think we're going to do a throwback on that next year. I would guess i'm i'm slowly working on our 2021 schedule and next year is uh what eighty years? I think wow. of, of Citizen Kane. So yeah, I was forty-one. So yeah, yeah. So I was <laughs> like, I'll, I'll probably. I, I think I'd rather watch that since it's been probably fifteen plus years since I've seen it. I, I'd rather. I think I'd rather wait until the, the you know the time comes that we're doing an episode on it. Um, have that be a little a little bit fresher uh, for semi, not a first experience, but you know, just yeah. a reminder. Um, yeah, like I know some of the Citizen Kane story. It's it's not 
it's not something that has stuck with me. I think I've probably done some some background research on on Kane and and on Wells and and whatnot a few times, but it's never enough for it to like you know I didn't go to film school or anything like that, so never enough for it to really stick in my brain. Um, after watching Mank, I went and read a couple of articles. The Ringer had a pretty good piece on on uh, who, won, who won Citizen Kane. Uh huh. Yep. It, and it was, it was, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, it was the sled. So, uh, uh so but, house yeah, is such great. a good writer, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I read a couple pieces just to try to get some of the, remind myself on some of the background. Um, and Citizen Kane is, uh, look, I will save it again for, for the full review later, I guess around this time next year, but um, so what, what a tease it's just, just wait 360 <laughs> days or so and you'll find out my full thoughts, but no, I, it, it's a, uh, I think it deserves its place in history. I think that when people, when somebody says that's the best film of all time, um, I don't immediately question their, their thoughts or whatever. Yeah, I think in it, a weird it way, it's more that. acceptable to say that's the best film of all time than to say that's my favorite film. Wouldn't that oh, jar sure. you more? Yeah. Yeah. That would weird me out. Someone yeah. our age. For sure, but yeah, but no, like I, I think it has a great. Uh, the influence of that movie is is more important than the movie itself, I think, uh, or better than than the movie itself, and that plays into those conversations when when you make you know best movies of all time type lists and stuff. And so I think it I think it deserves it. But I also I'm kind of with you, Kent. Like I understand if 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 somebody's like I just it it does look very boring and it is kind of a chore or a little bit of homework to to get through and I'm not a big fan of assigning movies as homework to especially to younger audiences I just don't think that that is the way that we ought to be do the do the ebert thing man I I'm going to I'm going to say it like if you don't understand why it's significant do it like sure. like have somebody that literally talk you through why the scene matters you know mm-hmm. why this why this camera angle matters why these lines matter and nobody better than the goat um of mm-hmm. film of film discussion uh to sure. do that i mean it it and i already liked the movie it completely opened my eyes to a new appreciation of that you mm-hmm. know and and well, you know it, maybe it, if we it, can discuss it next year and that's your gig yeah. to it but i i want to encourage sure. everyone out there listening to to watch citizen kane and embrace it because mm-hmm. um, it's certainly worth your time. I mean, uh, not to spoil our review, but I think it holds up after eighty years. <laughs> well, and I think that I think you, you're onto something there because having somebody around who really knows what they're talking about and can the, the thing about Eber was he he was so good at that's something that we I think we try to do here and hopefully we're more successful at it more often than not. But at, at trying to um, critique film and and really talk about what's happening in film without being super pretentious, that was the thing that Ebert had over mm. almost everybody else in his in his field. And well, he even Armand, yeah, <laughs> right? Um, and he did that so well. Uh, and and I think that that watching, I think that watching Citizen Kane now, eighty years uh, out for the first time, you you potentially do run the risk of feeling of of i don't know how to put that of not really seeing how influential it is because you now have all these years you have 80 years of film afterward that you know have have done 
some of the things that that movie did. And so it's, it doesn't it's like feel like listening to as, Dylan now. You go, this is kind of boring. This is just yes, yes. a bunch of words and choruses. Yeah, and well, even like, I mean, I don't want to completely blow our, our my my thoughts on, on our, our, uh, our throwback this week, but Raging Bull to me suffers from that quite yeah. a lot of, it's cool, but it feels so, I mean, I've seen this movie done so many times now since 1980 that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, let's, it's, it, it doesn't. So anyway, I, I mean that to say, if you can find somebody like the Ebert track, like you're talking about, can't, that can kind of take you on that journey and show you and really point out the things that are valuable and, and what influence this had and all this sort of stuff. I think it can make a huge difference. So sorry, a very long winded way to say, I think that's a great, a great, uh, recommend. What about you, Arby? Where are you at on Citizen Kane and and uh, how this plays into that? Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I love Citizen Kane uh, as much as a film. As a, you know, as you guys know, I, I I do love the history of film and things, but I also love the history of you know what this represents historically and journalistically with the Hearst Corporation and all of that, and what it represents um, in terms of sort of satire and and social you know. Um, commentary and all of that. So I think it's a really smart, brilliant movie. I watched it. I haven't seen it. You know, I, I was a very um, pretentious, uh, not so much high schooler, but I, but very pretentious, as most non-pretentious high schoolers are, I became a very pretentious college student. And I would watch things like Citizen Kane all the time. But I had not watched it since that period of my life. And, and uh, so I watched it right when COVID hit. And no, I, I think I knew this was coming, but this factored in zero as to why I watched it. Um, I just decided when COVID hit, we have a great database of movies here. And I decided to uh, throw Citizen Kane on. I, went, I did Casablanca, I did Citizen Kane, I did a bunch of stuff because we've been doing this show for for eight years now or whatever. And it was like, well, I've seen all a lot of classics, but I haven't seen them. Um, much, you know, within the context of the movies we review, you know, in the last eight years, maybe I haven't, I've, I've slacked on things. I watched all the, you know, there's COVID going on. So I would just get up and I would watch a Hitchcock and I would watch, uh, you know, like I said, a Casablanca, I would watch uh, Maltese Falcon. I would watch all these kind of, and then also I would, I was watching a lot of, uh, Turner classic movies on TV. I just decided, Hey, you know what? I do a movie show for God's sakes. Why don't you? Why don't you <laughs> rewatch? Yeah, it's eight and, years. Might as well start to start taking this thing seriously. You know? Yeah, exactly. Take this thing seriously now. <laughs> no, I and, and I had I had seen so many of this stuff. Like I said, during a uh, you know, I worked at a bookstore in college. So I, was, I had access to a lot of stuff, but I had not seen it with like full a critical adult, eye. Yeah, or full adult brain. Right, I had mm-hmm. seen it with sort of post adolescent college brain. And so, okay, let's let's start hammering this stuff out. And so I did, and this was in that sort of mix. And I did that for about oh gosh, twelve weeks or so, quite quite a lot, way more than I've ever done before. And it, it was great. And I and it sort of, um, but this one, this one, and, and to me, Casablanca, uh, I know, hot take alert, really stand out of that era of cinema where you go, man, you know what? These are pretty good. <laughs> these are these are awesome, um, both from a technical aspect, but but a, a uh, the scripts are so good, the performances are so good. They are oddly timeless, but also so timely of their era. If you know anything historically about those era, uh, that era, those two eras rather, um, which sort of mixed together. But um, yeah, the, this one especially, I love a good satire. This is such a good satirical sort of darkly funny, but also really dramatic film um, that deserves every bit of credit it's given. And I love to, I loved 
uh, we'll get into Mank, really explain, exploring that from a new um, eye. And so what a cool idea for a movie, what a cool script. And we'll get into, I'm sure Kent will, will walk us through the, the origins of the script as well. Um, but I, I thought it was, I dug it, man. But I, I, I was really enjoying being back in this world. And I was so glad that I watched uh, Citizen Kane, uh, you know, a scant seven months ago. And I, I can't wait to watch it again now after, after seeing this. Yeah, man. I actually watched Citizen Kane literally right before watching this, like back to back. And gosh, it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, like the, the, I don't know if that's the way Fincher meant it for, for it to be, but the feeling of going back to back with those was, was great. And man, what a fantastic companion piece this is to mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. And, you know, you hear about these filmmakers all the time, loving movies or, oh, this is the movie that got me into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like even, People take it to extremes, like a Gus Van Sant will remake his favorite movie because he's so inspired by it, right? And inspired by the act. Well, that's, of I mean, Hitchcock. you can say take it too far, but Brian's doing that with Nymphomaniac, so I don't know. <laughs> don't insult him. Re- recreating it? Yeah. Part one but or two, it, Brian? Both, obviously. <laughs> Director's cut. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He calls uh, it a sexier Nymphomaniac. I don't know what he means by that. <laughs> No, but yeah, no, totally. You, you, you know, um, I mean, to me, this feels like if Steven Spielberg said, all right, I'm making a mo- a companion piece to Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. And then he did it. And it was like, I don't know, it, it matched all the technical prowess of Lawrence of Arabia, plus added something completely new to the story and put it in a completely new context. 80 years later, you know, like that's what this feels like. Um, it doesn't feel insulting. Like it might, if, if you heard, you know, ex director is making a movie about the greatest movie ever or how it was made or, you know, it feels almost like bandwagony in a way, you know, but the fact that David Fincher's father wrote this screenplay and was a part of a, history of screenwriting and and trying to get projects made that never really caught on in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those is The Aviator. And uh, I was actually reading about it. There's a chapter in uh, the book um, Tales from Development Hell that I've uh, recommended that's about that, about The Aviator and the whole process that it went through for 20 years before it got made by, uh, by Martin Scorsese. And you know, maybe if it wasn't for Netflix, that, that Mank would have never been made, you know? Um, it, Certainly now. Studios aren't beating down the doors to make movies like this every day, you know? And this being a period movie, it's probably pretty high budget, you know, to make it to make it accurate and all that. But I thought the idea was, I don't know, not outrageous, but outlandish for somebody like Fincher, because you don't expect that from him. He kind of sticks to his guns. Um, but the execution of this idea was so flawless, uh, so well thought out, so well executed. The casting was, was unbelievable. I mean, Gary Oldman, like, I don't know if I've ever been so confident in like the best a best picture, picture best, best actor <laughs> winner of a year. Like I'm calling it now, this is going to win, win best picture and best actor. Like I'll, I'll say that. I don't know. I, I don't know. 
I'm pretty confident this is going to be my favorite movie of the year. Just like looking towards the end of the year, like Nomadland might might beat that out, but that's really not coming until 2021 and mm-hmm. in full wide release. Because I love love Chloe Zhao, I love love Francis, of course. Mm-hmm. So that one, whew, look forward to that. But this one, man, this is a Kent Garrison movie, man. This is like <laughs> a movie about movies, how movies are made. It's um, a movie made like the best movie of all time is made. And it's a good movie, too, on mm-hmm. top of that. It's not like just, oh, look what I can do. Look at these cool shots. Look how I can emulate Orson Welles' cinematography, right? It's like, no, this this story is, like, really good. Yeah. And um, I just thought the way they did this from the very beginning, you know, even the sound at the beginning is, like, it sounds like an old movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it has, like, that, that old scratchy feeling mm-hmm. to it. Like, this Correctly. movie could have been dug up and played, you know? Like it, like it, it has that old lo-fi quality. All the all the score is like really lo-fi. Like it's like it's ripped off old records and stuff. It really had that that authentic feel, like Citizen Kane. So like watching Citizen Kane and then watching this, I mean, it fit right in there. You know, there was not a jarring difference at all between styles, between the way they sounded, the way they looked. It was like wow, boom. I mean, I guess the aspect ratios are different. This one's widescreen, and Citizen Kane is like you know square or whatever. But um. But yeah, man, unbelievable. I was, blo- I was blown away by Mank, man. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it here, but but general thoughts. Brian? Yeah, I, I mean, this one, when I was watching it, I was like, man, this is this is a Kent movie and a Richard movie, and I'm like, the, you know, kind of trailing behind, because, you know, Fincher, love, Fincher, great, not my favorite. That's kind of how I typically phrase it. Um I'm not I'm not as interested in in old Hollywood and and that sort of stuff as as I think both of you guys are mm-hmm. uh but I love Gary Oldman uh because I'm I'm very basic <laughs> on that front. Uh Gary Oldman's the best. I really like the movie. It's not one that I'm going to rewatch very often um as I I typically feel with with most uh with most Fincher movies. Although I do think I I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think on uh, the 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 fincheriness of it and the tone it, it did not feel overly finchery to me uh but but maybe that's just because of the the time period set and the you know the black and white thing and it was mm-hmm. i don't know it was it was funnier than a lot of fincher movies are i think and and had some some good funnier than seven i don't know dude. <laughs> like who knew who knew um yeah look i it was I enjoyed this movie maybe a little bit more than I thought I was going to. I kind of went into it with the borderline homework mentality of like, this is a movie that I know is going to be up for best picture, up for best actor, up for best director, et cetera. And so I need to see it. Uh, and I'll, and obviously you know, we're doing this episode and whatnot, but I wasn't super duper looking forward to it. I, I would say. And, uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it more, more than I thought I would. So great acting, uh, like I said, a little funnier than I than I expected. I thought that the nonlinear storytelling actually was really worked and was valuable for this movie. Whereas a lot of times it's it's not necessarily. I think it's just become such a such a crutch for screenwriting and and filmmaking. Um, that that uh, anyway, but th- this one it really worked really well. Um, I, I I dug the I dug the way in which it was presented. It did feel like. Um, it felt like an old movie, and not just the the. the is it, it maybe it's easy to pull that off when you're when you're putting it in black and white, but I don't think it was just that. I think it was 
the vibe and the, the environments that they yeah that, that he put together and and then just the even just like the the speech patterns of mm-hmm. the of the characters and stuff it really had it really felt like something that had been dropped onto netflix from 1940 or something it was really interesting on that front so yeah this is this is a really good movie um i i fully expect it will be one of the biggest contenders for for all of the the major awards i have no idea what what like i was pulling up while you while you're talking can't uh variety and again i have no idea how accurate variety has been on predicting things over the years but they have it right now as the number three movie as far as uh best picture goes behind nomadland and minari um and then Oldman as well as in the top five. And Hollywood loves Hollywood. Yeah, no, like no that, question. To me, no I'm question. watching this yeah. like, dude, every every member of the mm-hmm. Academy is gonna like yeah. just have their jaw yeah. drops watching this movie. For sure. For yeah, sure. but I mean, yeah. to be fair, do you consider Sonic to be Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. Burbank. I mean, little indie movie. But, yeah, uh, so I would say Sonic's still front could, runner mm-hmm, in my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My as long as as long as my boy Mars didn't get some uh, supporting actor love, I'm good. <laughs> That's right. He's That's right. underappreciated far too long. Uh, that that interest that interests me, man. I thought this would be would be the front runner. Uh, maybe I, I've heard good things about Minari. I'm interested to see that mm-hmm. um, later this year. But yeah, but we'll have to see. Uh, Richard, what's your general thoughts on Mank? Mank's great, man. I, you know, I love Fincher like you do, Kent. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, I've really enjoyed. You're probably the of- biggest fan of all three of us. I would say of Fincher. If we were to rank our favorite directors, you'd probably have him higher on your list than, than I would yeah, on mine. Maybe, maybe. I, yeah, perhaps. Which is funny because he's such a visual filmmaker. And I don't consider myself mm-hmm. as much of a, a, a visual, you know, watcher. But, but gosh, is he great? And, um, yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoy him in this world. You know, what's funny about him is he's such a iconic filmmaker of the last. 25 years and he's so his style is so non-Hollywood so it's fun to watch him do Hollywood um, in a way because you don't think of a lot of his stuff as really of course it's very cinematic but you don't think of it as like Tarantino is like so Hollywood right um, PTA is so mm-hmm. um, you know maybe it's the valley but it's it's LA you know it's like they're not like vibe. summer movies usually yeah, yeah. and Fincher's this kind of cold um, sort of Nordic, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, you know, filmmaker. And so it's cool to watch him. It's almost more interesting. If you told me, uh, hey, guys, Tarantino's dad wrote a script about the screenwriter of, of Citizen Kane, and it's about, we'd all be like, oh, of course he did. Yep. No, it's going to be good. But but Fincher, Fincher, that story, you go, oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Um Sure, I want to see him tackle the golden era of Hollywood in a way, or at least pre right pre golden era. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I liked all of those things coming together. Um, really worked for me, and really um, the 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 both the things that kind of flow easily, but also the things that flow a little roughly with Venture in that world worked. Um, and then, yeah, I mean. Brian and I talk about this sometimes, but like the, the what we look for in a film, you know, you look for the sort of dialogue, which really fit the time, but also the performances. And Amanda Seyfried is is great. Uh, she's a great actress, and I I enjoy her and everything. And um, 
minus anything with Mamma Mia in the title. Um, and <laughs> so Megan's uh, coming for you. I haven't seen her since out. like, what was it? That surfing movie she did? I forgot. Yeah. She's married um, to a fellow mean green. Um, so what up, Amanda? I see you have a type. Um, so yeah. So I like everything about her. Um, so yeah, so she's, she's great. And I've really enjoyed, it's crazy. I think, I think she will win. It's crazy that Mean Girls at the end, you know, is, is going to have an Oscar winner. Um, what do you think? Best supporting actress? I think she's up for best actress. She's the favorite. Francis. Yeah. But right now they've got her gold derby. Number one. I mean, I hope I love Francis. I haven't seen the film yet. But <laughs> right now, Gold Derby's got her number one, so we'll, we'll we shall. I see, mean, if but. if Francis is better than than she was in this, then yeah, I'll be. I, I will. I will. She's great. Uh, that'd be I'm, amazing. I'm pumped. I mean, I'm, yeah, she was. She was. In, this is her best work by far, for sure. But she's been good in a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. and lately, and has really made a really cool career. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm I enjoy her. Um, I know <laughs> there's a lot of connotation to this because of a, a certain movie they made. I think she's kind of the Jill- Julianne Moore of her generation. Like, um, I know there's like some vibes there. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I really like this career she's carving out and she could have been a really more poppy sort of Blake Lively type. And she hasn't done that. She's done really cool stuff. And I, I look forward to watching a lot more of her for 40 more years. Cause I think, I think she's really great. And, She's kind of like she's obviously stunning, but she's kind of like weird looking enough where she can do a lot of weird. And I mean that as a compliment, like unique mm-hmm. looking enough, I should say that she can do a lot of different stuff. It's kind of I'm trying to think of a male counterpart like um, Gosling's kind of that way, where like he's obviously very handsome, but he has this sort of like off look that makes he can do a lot of different kind of parts. I feel mm-hmm. like she has that um, where she can play kind of crazy better than most people that are as beautiful as as she is. So. Um, yeah, she's she's a leading woman for the next forty years. That's cool. Oldman has been a leading man for the last forty years, and that's cool. And it was, it was just a mix of a lot of things. But I'm going to shut up because I've been rambling for a while, and I, I want to hear what you guys thought. I love their dynamic too. Yeah, and I don't too. know a lot about the the backstory on on those that relationship or whatever, and how historically accurate it is or what. I don't really care. Uh, you know, you know how I feel on yeah. On historically based movies, it's like your job's the, the movie's job is to be a movie and tell the story, tell a story. So I don't really care necessarily that it that gets all of its facts completely correct. But uh, but I I loved their their chemistry and their relationship. It was just fun to see. Uh, the for me the best actor of his generation in Gary Oldman, and then well, him or Kevin Dillon, I would say. Right. Well, it's a. Could he have been drawn? I always go, yeah, I always go alphabetical by first name. So oh, when you're I'm, right. She <laughs> does come before K. You've That's always right. said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Victory for you. One of my big mottos. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting. It was really fun to see him working opposite a much younger co-star who I agree with you, Richard. I think, I think Amanda Seyfried is a very, very good actress and has so much ahead of her as as a as a leading woman um but to see those two on screen together and have such great chemistry in a platonic way without yeah. it be, you know without ever for me at least i never had that that feeling of like all right are they gonna you know are they gonna kiss is this gonna turn into a romance thing? i was waiting it's a little for weird. it uh, <laughs> and just so sort of- 
We'll have to see we'll the director. Talking in uh, my but yeah, TVs. but now you yeah, it, it, it was. I thought they had a great, a great chemistry together, and they're only in you know a handful of scenes together. Yep. But those were the scene of them like walking around the Hearst estate with the mm. zoo and all that sort of stuff. Was yeah. I thought it was maybe the best scene in the movie. It was just a really kind of it was it was a very it was light, like that kind of uh, sweet that, little that, moment, that, and it was really sh- cool. Yeah. It was like that strolling down the street street scene in uh, La La Land, mm-hmm. like, a, yeah, like a little sure. less romantic than that, but mm-hmm. like right. same kind of early evening, you know, outside mm-hmm. in beautiful nature, two people saying really cool things, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was good. Kent, you know far better than I, does, does, um, oh, I'm blanking, what's La La Land's director's name? Damien Chazelle. Dam- Chazelle. I knew Damien, I didn't want to, is he a big Fincher guy? I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure. I he consider probably, them. Probably. I think I find them to be very similar in that way. That crazy attention to detail, that sort of crazy ability to do genre is not important at all. There's no genre they don't touch and don't touch well. I would be surprised if that was not his favorite or a huge influence on him. Which is a you know, it's high praise, as they say. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm not sure of his favorite. Uh, Oh, his favorite directors. Um, Sorry, see. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, I mean, he lists Chinatown, Casablanca, uh, Boogie Nights. These are his favorite movies. Heat. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm with Pulp him. Fiction, Rebel Without a Cause, Singing in the Rain, of course. A Star is Born, the original one. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, which is very Citizen Kane-y. Um, or very manky, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that comparison. I could certainly see the similarity there. And this is, yeah, Chazelle has that that kind of Hollywood feel. And that's a good point about Fincher not really having that Hollywood branding to to what he does and kind of being on his own terms with most things. And and this is no different, man. It's a great departure for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't expect that it would be, but it certainly is. And the attention to detail here, you know, just kind of comparing it to Citizen Kane. I'm with you, Brian. I think Citizen Kane, uh, I don't know the, the phrasing you used, but I think you said um, it's a better film than it is a better movie, or something like that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, Citizen Kane is maybe the most well-shot movie ever. Um, you know, it, break, it broke a ton of barriers when it came to... Besides Now You See Me 1, or is it 2? <laughs> It's now you see me. uh, You're talking about the one with the card scene. That's now you see me too. Uh, What has the spinny chase scene? Oh, that that doesn't narrow it down any. Yeah, you're gonna have to. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean it's one of the, if not the best, most well shot movies ever. And um, you know, I I, I'm with you, Richard. I think the story of Citizen Kane is is very good, but that's not what makes the movie great. You know, I mean, if it was just shot. Normally and by normal director, I don't think it would have been um, heralded as this great film. I mean, it might be a good movie, but it certainly wouldn't be argued to be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think the production elements have a lot to do with it. And Fincher recognized that, and he really applied those those principles that that Orson Welles invented, stuck to with that movie. And what's interesting about uh, Citizen Kane is it is you know, you think of it as this big epic, right? Like this big, big budget, old timey, old Hollywood movie, but it was really like this low budget thing. Um, I mean, 
Orson Welles had the money to do what he wanted. RKO gave him the creative freedom, but like, you know, some of the some of the ways they made it were like using matte paintings and and using different camera techniques. Uh, you know, doing like makeshift green screen techniques and things like things like that uh, to save money instead of going the what's the movie uh, Cleopatra maybe the one where they just spent like 500 billion dollars literally in 1935 (laughs) (laughs) just to make because they had to build all these sets like make it look like egypt and stuff yeah like like yeah no like orson wells was very smart about cutting corners there and doing a lot of that stuff Uh, you know rear screen projection and and really trying to figure out he's like you compare it to George Lucas in a lot of ways um, with mm-hmm. kind of the innovation with Citizen Kane. Because like, that's what of, happened. Think of Citizen, think of Citizen Kane as like the Star Wars of its time. Like, right? Like nobody had ever seen anything like that on screen mm-hmm. before, right? And nobody could understand how a lot of it was even done, you know? Because it's just like your, your, it defies logic um, of that time. And it takes, you know, 30 years of movies coming after that to to set it in context. But... Man, um, so yeah, some of the attention to detail from Fincher, like, you know, the movie starts off the, the opening credits. I love that. The old-timey opening credits. Uh, there's even a little logo that, that said, uh, shot in high, di- high dynamic range, and it looked like a little, like, Panavision logo or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? I thought that was a cool touch. Um, yeah, apparently, this movie was shot in black and white, so there's no, there is no color version. Uh, anywhere so that's interesting to me as well and something that's also well known with citizen kane is is the depth of field the Mm -hmm. fact that everything in the movie is in focus from the very back to the very front you know all the furniture all the things in the walls everyone in the room you can see um fincher did that here too Mm -hmm. uh he didn't you know he kept everything in focus and what he would do is just like blur the background where like the the foreground is still in focus. It's not like a rack focus. It's more just like blurring. Like it's like fading fading off the lights. You know, like turning off the lights. You know, uh, in the background and then fading up the lights to bring things into focus. And so yeah, he took a lot of those basic principles, like the the law book of of Citizen Kane, and like here's how it was made. It's almost like a band going in the studio and saying, all right, we're only going to record this on tape. You know, <laughs> or, you know, like limiting yourself to the technology of the time. Like it really felt like Fincher did that and it paid off. Like it's a really cool, I don't know. It'd be, is it, it's probably, he probably just got his rocks off like doing this, you know, like doing something different <laughs> yeah. than he's normally doing. And like, how can yeah. I, how can I get that crazy light that, that Orson Welles got mm-hmm. in that window? You know, like all that kind of yeah, stuff, man. Sure. That's, I'm and, sure that's why he gets say, up in the morning is to do things like that. Yeah. And I would say for most movies, at least for me, I don't know about you guys. I'd come on here and I would just roll my eyes. Yeah, so exactly. Hard. That's what I'm saying. Say, what, yeah, what a bunch of garbage. Like just, just ugh. And but for this, it's like, yeah, okay, that that's that's probably the right call. Like that really, I think that does add. There's a very few films that you can tell me like stuff like that can't you know the, the these these sort of things that the average viewer is never going to notice um and i would say that's probably super unnecessary and very pretentious <laughs> but for this particular situation like, it's like no coach I think carter you said that it, yeah it, it adds to the, it adds to the movie i think it makes that it i think that is part of the whole thing of like the vibe and the yeah. feel and the look of the movie really genuinely 
feeling like it was made in in 1940. It, it mm. it's like a it's like a dramatized documentary from 1940 in a way. Yeah, I, I no, I mean it feels like a vibe. like a sequel that like mm-hmm. was shot yeah. on the same lot around the same time that just never came out. You know, like an unreleased behind the scenes. Yeah, you're right. Like a behind the scenes documentary about uh, about Citizen Kane. It really does have that have that feeling, but it didn't lean too far into that. You know, I. I you, you hear yeah, about still a, like you said, there's still a story there. Yeah, there's still a that, story there. I want to talk a little bit about that um, because you know you hear about movies about movies, and they can be kind of eye rolly. Brian, uh, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what comes to mind is it was a Nothing good movie. It was, it was the fun. Love letter to cinema. Quote it was fun, but um, the disaster artist. You know, like mm-hmm. like that. That's a movie. That's funny, you know, but it, the whole movie is about that movie and how that movie was made. There's not much story other than like Tommy Wiseau and how he got to America, which no one still knows, right? This movie, I don't know, there's maybe 20 minutes of like them actually talking about Citizen Kane in it. Mm-hmm. And the rest is like Mank dealing with his life, dealing with his family, dealing with the Hearst ordeal, dealing with uh, his studio, you know. There was so much more than than that, but I gotta admit my favorite my favorite parts of the movie was with what's his name who played Orson Welles, who was incredible. Mm-hmm. Dead Ringer. Total, total perfect find for Venture. Um but those were my favorite scenes were the scenes between Mank and, and Orson Welles, and I think Fincher knew that and he knew I can't do this too much because it mm-hmm. it loses its luster. Because that's what people want to see, right? They want they want that phone to ring and for it to be Orson, right? They want Orson to knock on that door or walk through that door. Um and I think the moments with him pay off well and I I tried not to do a lot of research just because I you know, I knew basically the outline of the story and how he was mm-hmm. kind of screwed over on the screenplay, but I didn't know the details of that. And so I was I was pleasantly surprised at some of the details that were revealed in the movie and uh second Turner Classic Movies reference on the show, um you know, obviously, uh, Ben Mankiewicz, his grandfather, Herman Mank- is Herman Mankiewicz. Um, and uh, I was watching a little thing they did he did for CBS Sunday Morning, uh, talking about um, seeing this movie and how he never knew his grand- grandfather because Herman Mankiewicz died in like the 1950s. But how, you know, his father would have been proud and everything would have been proud because, again, this is known as to be one of the greatest movies ever and the screenplay was, you know, I guess credited for by Orson Welles through what is revealed here, you know, different means or miscommunication, not miscommunication, but like a, a deal that never should have been done. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it puts a light on this man who deserves recognition after 80 years. People are just now learning, uh, who Mank was and, uh, giving him the credit just like they did in 2016 when nobody knew who Trumbo <laughs> was. And we all found out, well, we all and it was great. Trum- Dalton Trumbo, yeah, was. thank God, through Trumbo, one of the greatest films ever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some other details. I I got a long list here. I don't want to go so so deep into this. I'm just boring people. But um, some of the other details I liked uh, was like the driving scenes were just straight up rear screen projection with the dude holding mm-hmm. like a steering wheel. Like he didn't even try to make them look like they were driving on a real street or anything, which I liked uh, that because that's how it would have been. Um, so it's like a movie about a movie, but it's shot like a movie. It's like a weird a world where everything is a movie, you know? Um, 
I liked uh, their riffing with the assistant where he's like writing the movie, lying in his bed. By the way, Gary Oldman was outspoken, I should say. Uh, I guess that's the right word. A couple of weeks, months ago about Fincher and we all know Fincher's a hard ass, right? We've, we've heard it. hundred takes, you know. What is he complaining about, dude? He's laying in bed all day. <laughs> the movie, he's like, all right, take 150. Getting all right, I'm still lying in bed. Okay, so I guess I'll do it again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not like it's a physically demanding part, Gary. Come on. This could be it's, a lot it's worse. It's funny to me that, that it must, you know it must be bad when somebody, I mean, Gary Oldman has his own reputation for, for his, the way he is on, on set. <laughs> and it's not like it's a surprise, right, that Fincher is going to do 400 takes of every single scene. So, so you know it must be, it must be bad if somebody like him comes out afterwards and is like, okay, I heard everything, but good gracious, like not even close to as bad as it was. Like this was, this is so obnoxious to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, there's a... Um, it's got to be the hardest on the editor, right? Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Ugh. Totally. Um, there's a, a scene here... You know, like the main conference room scene, um, set in the movie. I think that's the model that through the same one from Citizen Kane. It wouldn't. I, I didn't go and compare them, but it looked like no, it, is. it looked yeah, like it super, was super similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I guess Mank based it on that. You know, when he was writing the screenplay. Um, and so there's a scene in here with Mank and them in that that conference room, all talking, and they're throwing ideas around and there's like a, a woman that's transcribing it and she's like a burlesque dancer, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a showgirl. Well, apparently in Citizen Kane, there's a, there's a scene where they're all having dinner, you know, at the Inquirer where, where Kane welcomes the Inquirer and they have that big dinner party and all those dancers come in and all that, you know. Well, apparently they wanted it to be burlesque dancers, but the studio was like, no, you, no, like you got, you can't, you can't go that far. <laughs> and so they compromised with just regular, you know, women doing a, a routine. And uh, so that's a cool little Easter egg here. The mm. the burlesque dancer, like, chilling in the room, and that that's kind of, like, where that scene took place in the movie. So that's a, that's a nice little nugget from, from Fincher there. And this, this movie's full of those, man. Um, 24 minutes is the first mention of the word talkie. And I, was, I had the over-under at 30, so um, I was kind of right on there. Right on, right at 30, it was about 24. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing nothing but talkies. Um, some of the other details, the real dots, I liked those. You know, you see like dots in the corner of the screen when you go see a movie that's projected because they that's where they stitch the reels together. That, that had, it had that in here too. So like a movie that was shot probably 100% on digital, I'm not sure. I had that, uh, had those little, little nugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was was this? So, do we know was this film stock or was it digital or what? Because I'm not sure. I think it was digital. Walks in both worlds. Oh well. So uh, he's 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 cool. he's pretty. I think Fincher has yeah. embraced digital. I think yeah. the social Especially network the was digital. Thing, yeah. It was one of the first big movies on digital. Yeah, and he and his whole thing is like, hey, I need to see what I'm shooting. <laughs> I need to be on set and be able to look at a screen right. and say, here's what it looks like. And so I'm not shooting. 50 takes and then the next day you say oh that was out of focus right. damn it you know like that's that, that's not what he's he's about so i think this is probably all digital and they just de-aged it through you know maybe gotcha. they printed it to film and then digitized that and then printed it to film again and digit you know to de-age it kind of yeah um 
something like so. that. Richard, I wanted to ask you about the Hearst mm-hmm. aspect of this because yeah. I didn't know Mank was like friends with the Hearst mm-hmm. family and that interested me, that whole dynamic. I, I thought it was just like yeah. somebody he had heard of and was like, oh, this would be fun to write a, a satire about this guy. Like kind of like, you know, if I wrote one about a celebrity yeah. or whatever. And you this, know. this over – stated it in a way that I'm interested to see how what the truth is behind that because I kind of assume the same as I you know I knew the Hearst were very mad about it um, as were all the big uh, media tycoons of that era about about Citizen Kane found it very you know disreputable to their to their lives and so um, I just assumed it was sort of you know a David throwing rocks at Goliath but then you through this film you kind of learned that they were that they were uh, a lot you know a lot closer um than I would have thought. And so that was very interesting to me as well. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, uh, the, the Hearst especially uh, like hated Citizen Kane till they died. I mean, found it to be basically libelous. Um, so it's interesting that he was right there and it was much more of a betrayal than, than I expected. Yeah. Fincher was telling Ben Mankiewicz and showing him how, how they use some of the digital technology to, create some of the scenes in this movie and Fincher is so good at that too, using CG and just, you never, I never would have thought that there would have been any CG in this movie, <laughs> you know, and there's, it's probably all over it. He's just so good at, uh, at hiding it. I didn't know anything about Upton Sinclair other than he wrote the book that the, uh, there will be blood is based on. Yeah. That's all I, that's all I knew about well, it. I mean, he was big, big he was banned in Nazi, yeah, he was banned in Nazi Germany too. Upton Sinclair mm. was because he was such a um, proponent of the working person um, that you know we don't want a that. A lot of all the powers uh, powers that be across the world were not uh, we're not too too fond of of Upton so. of people. Yeah, we don't like people, anti people. I yeah. uh, man, I didn't realize the original screenplay was three hundred twenty seven pages, and he <laughs> wasn't going to get credit. Like, are you kidding me? And it's funny that he only wanted credit after he realized it was the best thing he'd ever done. <laughs> or like he, after he wrote it and was like, wow, this is pretty good. I kind of want credit, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. that whole scene, the scene where, where uh, Orson Welles comes to his house is so good. Might be scene of the year for me, uh, you know, where he blows up and, and the studio or his studio rep is there and, <laughs> And makes this is the most meta thing. He says, "Stage act, you'll miss the third act complicator." Like in the third act of the movie, as the third act complicator is happening, you know. Like I love those mm-hmm. those little touches, yeah. but uh, that mo- that that moment lived up to the hype, man. It was it was excellent. Yeah, that was great, great scene. And you're right too. The guy who played uh, Orson Welles, Tom Burke, somebody I don't. I mean, I'm sure I've seen him in movies before. I love that it was an unknown. Cause yeah, exactly. God, that's, imagine that's living right up to way. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the right way to go with it. I mean. There's definitely a world where it's like, you know, Alec Baldwin or something. You're like, okay, well, this is, that took me out of it. But yeah, this is just having this random dude that we've never recognized is great. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. I love that. And, um, like I said, man, I just add some fantastic context to a fantastic movie and is a movie that I'm excited to watch again, to be honest with you. Normally, I'm yeah. not like itching to watch Fincher movies again right away, but I'll probably watch this again this week at, at some point. I'm excited. Yeah, I disagree with yeah. That's the only disagreement I have with with Brian. I think this will be a, a, I mean, maybe not like a you know yearly rewatchable, but in the next couple of weeks, I'll probably hammer this one out. 
because what else are we going to do? But yeah, I found this one to be pretty watchable. I bet there's a lot of Easter eggs in there, and I'm excited to kind of catch more of it as I as I dive into it. I was, but I was pumped for this man. I texted you guys. I I watched this one like it had been out like an hour, and I was like, I'm on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was four in the morning for- when you texted us and we was like, I'm watching Mank, what are y'all doing? I, yeah. I was, like a sleeping, like normal people. I've reached old guy's status where I just, I'm up, I, st- I wander around my house, I check all my doors. <laughs> I check my doors, I make sure everything's locked. Gotta look for intruders. Yeah, I let my dog out, I have coffee, and then I watch things. And that is my life from about, it's not always 4 a.m., but normally about 5 a.m. on. But it was extra early on that day. And I was like, you know what? This will be funny. I try not to text you guys because I'm always terrified I'll wake you up. Um, and so I just sort of live in silence for those hours. But uh, yeah. So yeah, that was my, but when I was firing up Mank, I was like, Mank time. Let's go. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for this one. Uh, any closing thoughts, things that stuck out that, uh, that you fellas want to point out here before we before we wrap it up. Great Gary poster. Oldman. Great yeah, poster. great poster. Great, Gary Oldman, good actor. I'm going to say it. We'll I'm going to go ahead and say it. Maybe maybe by the time he has five actors. We you know what's funny is he actor. he he's had better performances than this, or more sure. maybe showy performances than this. I hope he wins for it because what's he got? One Oscar. Mm-hmm. He won yeah, for that he's a, movie. Yeah, earlier. that's the only time he won. Yeah, which he was great in. Deserved. Mm. So he's a he's a three, you know. I'm a, he's yeah. on the Denzel level. Like, mm-hmm. give him two yeah. to three Oscars so that we can historically. Mm-hmm. So if he wins for this, great. I don't even care if it's COVID Oscar. Should have got one for Tinker Taylor. He was so freaking oh good. Gosh, gosh, man, he was so good. He got one for Darkest Hour. He won, right? He did. Yeah, yeah. he won 2016 or 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but I thought Trumbo doing... won in 2016. Was it not Trumbo? <laughs> it swept every other award. Oh. Mm-hmm. Best poster. <laughs> best poster. <laughs> best sepia. So that you know it's old. That's how you know a movie's. And the Fincher didn't do that enough. You know, Trumbo really threw that sepia at you where you go, mm. oh, so this isn't in current time, which I, ex- I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I just like the default filter on iMovie for old <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The um, Here's a question for you. Just looking ahead for Fincher, what do you think he does next? And question for you, do you think he... Or how much money do you think Netflix is going to throw at him and Sorkin to do Social Network too for Netflix? Because, Man. like, like uh, Trial of Chicago Seven, Netflix, yeah. Fincher, great, great relationship with Netflix. They're both let's both open minded. Both it. probably make more money there than anywhere. And Take honestly, three years probably, to do it. They both you know, want to do it. Accidental Billionaires is a great book and a good story about you know. Um, Zuckerberg sort of screwing out, screwing over the Winklevi and Eduardo's, Eduardo and, and if Sauron or whatever, how you say his name, you know, but kind of like quasi accidentally. And so there's some, there's some good pathos there in terms of who's, who's the villain, who's the, but I mean, that pales in comparison to what the story could be if you did yep. part two. <laughs> yeah. Right. I would think those um, deposition scenes right. and, oh my gosh. Right. You can, Unfortunately, they're so well known; it would be hard to sorkinize them. But you could do uh, what's her name, Lean In Lady Cheryl uh, Sandberg. Um, it would be a great meaty role for an actress, a AOC actress. You know, yeah. <laughs> somebody uh, can so, be I mean, Kamala Harris. I don't you know? think they would ever do it, but oh boy, would I be in for that? 
I think they will. Sorkin has said on the record he wants to do it. Um, so maybe he'll direct I it. He, I don't think he's the problem. Yeah, but I mean, it's got to be Fincher, man. As long as it's Jesse Eisenberg and Sorkin, doesn't matter the rest. That's fair. That's fair. Which, which what is Eisenberg doing? You know? Uh, he's spinning camera. He's got Zombie Now you see me three. three. Now you see me three. You <laughs> now you know? see me. Now you three me. Yeah. That's yeah. Now you three me is allegedly happening. He's, he, he's movies um, aren't going to happen, but darn it. Will that movie happen? He's been in living in the uh, Luxor, uh, <laughs> researching for J. Daniel Atlas during quarantine, mm, just living in the, uh, in the Singford and Roy quarters. RIP. Well, mm. uh, let's grade this one out. Mank. A plus, Brian. Yeah, A A plus. It's definitely. I think this and Defy Bloods is probably one two for like real movies made this year. You know, like not including like Hamilton and uh, documentaries and whatnot. I mean, narrative films. Uh, so we'll see where it ends up at the end of the year. I would be shocked if this wasn't in my top three ish for the for the year. Yeah. So, uh, what about you, Richard? All right, that's three A's for Mank. Join us later in the VIP for Raging Bull Talk. That's madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP, where you get access to all of our bonus episodes, all of our AMAs, our Discord, our talk sport radio hits, all of that kind of stuff is posted over there. So stay tuned for that and join us over there in the VIP. But hopefully we'll see you guys soon at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me yeah, yeah.